Section 9. Dimchurch Flit from Puck of Pook's Hill. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Icy Jumbo. Puck of Pook's Hill by Rudyard Kipling. Section 9. Dimchurch Flit. Smuggler's Song. If you wake at midnight and hear a horse's feet, don't go drawing back the blind or looking in the street. Them that asks no questions isn't told a lie. Watch the wall, my darling, while the gentlemen go by. Five and twenty ponies trotting through the dark, brandy for the parson, backy for the clerk, laces for a lady, letters for a spy, and watch the wall, my darling, while the gentlemen go by. Running round the woodlump, if you chance to find little barrels roped and tarred, all full of brandy wind, don't you shout to come and look, nor take em for your play. Put the brishwood back again, and they'll be gone next day. If you see the stable yard setting open wide, if you see a tied horse lying down inside, if your mother mends a coat cut about and tore, if the lining's wet and warm, don't you ask no more. If you meet King George's men, dressed in blue and red, you be careful what you say, and mindful what is said. If they call you pretty maid, and chuck you neath the chin, don't you tell em where no one is, nor yet where no one's been. Knocks and footsteps round the house, whistles after dark, you've no call for running out till the house-dogs bark. Trusties here, and pinchers here, and see how dumb they lie. They don't fret to follow when the gentlemen go by. If you do as you've been told, likely there's a chance. You'll be give a dainty doll all the way from France, with a cap of Valenciennes and a velvet hood, a present from the gentlemen, along a being good. Five-and-twenty ponies trotting through the park, brandy for the parson, backy for the clerk. Them that asks no questions isn't told a lie. Watch the wall, my darling, while the gentlemen go by. The Bee Boy's Song Bees, bees, hark to the bees, hide from your neighbours as much as you please, but all that has happened to us you must tell, or else we will give you no honey to sell. A maiden in her glory, upon her wedding day, must tell her bees the story, or else they'll fly away, fly away, die away dwindled down and leave you, but if you don't deceive your bees, your bees will not deceive you. Marriage, birth or burying, news across the seas, all you're glad or merry in, you must tell the bees. Tell em coming in and out, where the fanners fan, cause the bees are just about as curious as a man. Don't you wait where trees are, when the lightnings play, nor don't you hate where bees are, or else they'll pine away. Pine away, dwine away, anything to leave you, but if you never grieve your bees, your bees'll never grieve you. Dimchurch Flit Just at dusk a soft September rain began to fall on the hop-pickers. The mothers wheeled the bouncing perambulators out of the gardens, bins were put away, and tally-books made up. The young couples strolled home, two to each umbrella, and the single men walked behind them, laughing. Dan and Una, who had been picking after their lessons, marched off to roast potatoes at the oast-house, where old Hobden, 
with blue-eyed Bess, his lurcher dog, lived all the month through, drying the hops. They settled themselves, as usual, on the sack-strewn cot in front of the fires, and, when Hobden drew up the shutter, stared, as usual, at the flameless bed of coals spouting its heat up the dark well of the old-fashioned roundel. Slowly he cracked off a few fresh pieces of coal, packed them, with fingers that never flinched, exactly where they would do most good. Slowly he reached behind him till Dan tilted the potatoes into his iron scoop of a hand. Carefully he arranged them round the fire, and then stood for a moment, black against the glare. As he closed the shutter, the oast-house seemed dark before the day's end, and he lit the candle in the lanthorn. The children liked all these things, because they knew them so well. The bee-boy, Hobden's son, who is not quite right in his head, though he can do anything with bees, slipped in like a shadow. They only guessed it when Bess's stump tail wagged against them. A big voice began singing outside in the drizzle. Old Mother Ladinwool had nigh twelve months been dead. She heard the hops were doing well, and then popped up her head. There can't be two people made to holler like that, cried old Hobden, wheeling round. For, says she, the boys I've picked with when I was young and fair, they're bound to be at hoppin', and I'm— a man showed at the doorway. Well, well, they do say Oppin will draw the very deadest, and now I believed em. You Tom? Tom Shoesmith? Tom lowered his lanthorn. You're a hem of a time making your mind to it, Ralph. The stranger strode in, three full inches taller than Hobden, a grey-whiskered, brown-faced giant with clear blue eyes. They shook hands, and the children could hear the hard palms rasp together. "'You ain't lost none of your grip,' said Hobden. "'Was it thirty or forty year back you broke my head at Peasmarsh Fair?' "'Only thirty, and no odds tween us regarding heads neither. "'You had it back at me with a hot pole. "'How did we get home that night? "'Swimmin'? "'Same way the pheasant come into Gubbs's pocket, "'by a little luck and a deal of conjurin'. "'Old Hobden laughed in his deep chest. "'I see you've not forgot your way about the woods.' Do you do any of this still? The stranger pretended to look along a gun. Hobden answered with a quick movement of the hand, as though he were pegging down a rabbit wire. No, that's all that's left me now. Age she must as age she can. And what's your news since all these years? Oh, I've been off to Plymouth, I've been to Dover, I've been rambling boys the wide world over, the man answered cheerily. I reckon I know as much of old England as most. He turned towards the children, and winked boldly. I lay they told you a sight of lies, then. I've been into England fur as Wiltshire once. I was cheated proper over a pair of edging gloves, said Hobden. There's fancy talking everywhere. You've cleaved to your own parts pretty middling close, Ralph. Can't shift an old tree thout it dying, Hobden chuckled and I be no more anxious to die than you look to be to help me with my hops to-night. The great man leaned against the brickwork of the roundel, and swung his arms abroad. Hire me, was all he said, and they stumped upstairs, laughing. The children heard their shovels rasp on the cloth where the yellow hops lie drying above the fires, and all the oast-house filled with the sweet, sleepy smell as they were turned. Who is it? Una whispered to the bee-boy. Dunno, no more'n you, if you dunno, said he, and smiled. 
The voices on the drying floor talked and chuckled together, and the heavy footsteps went back and forth. Presently a hop-pocket dropped through the press-hole overhead, and stiffened and fattened as they shoveled it full. Clank! went the press, and rammed the loose stuff into tight cake. "'Gently!' they heard Hobden cry. "'You'll bust her crop if you lay on so. You be as careless as Gleason's bull, Tom. Come and sit by the fires. She'll do now.' They came down, and as Hobden opened the shutter to see if the potatoes were done, Tom Shoesmith said to the children, "'Put plenty of salt on em. That'll show you the sort of man I be.' Again he winked, and again the bee-boy laughed, and Una stared at Dan. "'I know what sort of man you be,' old Hobden grunted, groping for the potatoes round the fire. "'Do ye?' Tom went on behind his back. "'Some of us can't abide horseshoes, or church bells, or running water. And talking o' running water,' he turned to Hobden, who was backing out of the roundel, "'Do you mind the great floods at Robertsbridge, when the miller's man was drowned in the street?' "'Middlin' well,' Hobden let himself down on the coals by the fire-door. "'I was caught in my woman on the marsh that year. Carter to must plumb I was, getting ten shillings a week. Mine was a marsh-woman.' "'Wonderful Oddgate's place, Romney Marsh,' said Tom Shoesmith. "'I've heard say the world's divided into, like, Europe, Asia, Africa, Ameriky, Australia, and Romney Marsh. The Marsh folk think so, said Hobden. I have had a hem of trouble to get my woman to leave it. Where did she come out of? I forgot, Ralph. Dimchurch under the wall, Hobden answered, a potato in his hand. Then she'd be a pet or a whitgift, would she? Whitgift. Hobden broke open the potato and ate it with the curious neatness of men who make most of their meals in the blowy open. She growed to be quite reasonable-like, after living in the weald a while. But our first twenty year or two she was odd-fashioned, no bounds. And she was a wonderful hand with bees. He cut away a little piece of potato and threw it out to the door. "'Ah, I've heard the Whitgifts could see further through a millstone than most,' said Shoesmith. "'Did she, now?' "'She was honest innocent of any nigromancing,' said Hobden. Only she'd read signs and significations out of birds flying, stars falling, bees hiving and such, and she'd lie awake, listening for calls, she said. That don't prove not, said Tom. All marsh folk has been smugglers since time everlasting. Twould be in her blood to listen out o' nights. Naturally, old Hobden replied, smiling. I mind when there was smuggling a sight nearer us than the marsh be, but that wasn't my woman's trouble. "'Twas a puzzle and no-sense talk,' he dropped his voice, "'about Pharisees.' "'Yes, I've heard marsh-men beleft in them.' Tom looked straight at the wide-eyed children beside Bess. "'Pharisees?' cried Una. "'Fairies? Oh, I see.' "'People of the hills,' said the bee-boy, throwing half of his potato towards the door. "'There you be,' said Hobden, pointing at him. "'My boy, he has her eyes and her outgate senses.' That's what she called them. And what did you think of it all? Hmm, hmm, Hobden rumbled. A man that uses fields and shaws after dark as much as I've done, he don't go out of his road except for keepers. But setting that aside, said Tom, coaxingly, I saw ye throw the good piece out at doors just now. Do you believe? Or do ye? There was a great black eye to that tater, said Hobden indignantly. 
"'My little eye didn't see him then. "'It looked as if you meant it for—for for anyone that might need it. "'But setting that aside, do you believe, or do ye?' "'I ain't saying nothing, because I've heard naught, and I've seen naught. "'But if you was to say there was more things after dark in the shores than men, "'or fur, or feather, or fin, "'I don't know as I'd go far about to call you a liar. "'Now turn again, Tom. What's your say?' "'I'm like you. I say nothing. "'But I'll tell you a tale, and you can fit it as how you please.' "'Passel o' no-sense stuff,' growled Hobden. "'But he filled his pipe. "'The marshmen, they call it Dimchurch Flit,' Tom went on slowly. "'At you heard it?' "'My woman, she'd have told it me scores of times. "'Dunno as I didn't end by beleft in it, sometimes.' "'Hobden crossed over as he spoke.' and sucked with his pipe at the yellow lanthorn flame. Tom rested one great elbow on one great knee, where he sat among the coal. "'Have you ever been in the marsh?' he said to Dan. "'Only as far as Rye, once,' Dan answered. "'Ah, that's but the edge. Back behind of her there's steeples setting beside churches, and wise women setting beside their doors, and the sea setting above the land, and ducks herding wild in the dicks,' he meant ditches. The marsh is just about riddled with dicks and sluices and tide-gates and waterlets. You can hear em bubbling and grumbling when the tide works in em, and then you hear the sea ranging left and right-handed all up along the wall. You've seen how flat she is, the marsh. You'd think nothing easier than to walk end on across her. Ah, but the dicks and the waterlets, they twists the roads about as ravelly as which yarn on the spindles, so you get all turned round in broad daylight. "'That's because they've dreamed the waters into the dicks,' said Hobden. "'When I courted my woman, the rushes was green. "'Ain't me, the rushes was green. "'And the bailiff of the marshes, he rode up and down as free as the fog.' "'Who is he?' said Dan. "'Why, the marsh fever and ague. "'He've clapped me on the shoulder once or twice till I shook proper. "'But now the draining off of the waters have done away with the fevers, "'so they make a joke like.' that the bailiff of the marshes broke his neck in a dick. A wonderful place for bees and ducks tis, too. And old, Tom went on, flesh and blood have been there since time everlasting beyond. Well now, speaking among ourselves, the marshmen say that from time everlasting beyond, the Pharisees favoured the marsh above the rest of old England. I lay the marshmen ought to know, They've been out after dark, father and son, smuggling some one thing or t'other, since ever wool grew to sheep's backs. They say there was always a middling few Pharisees to be seen on the marsh. Impudent as rabbits they was. They'd dance on the naked roads in the naked daytime. They'd flash their little green lights along the decks, coming and going, like honest smugglers. Yes, and times they'd lock the church doors against the parson and clerk of Sundays. That would be smugglers laying in the lace or the brandy till they could run it out of the marsh. I've told my woman so, said Hobden. I'll lay she didn't belift it then, not if she was a whitgift. A wonderful choice place for Pharisees, the marsh, by all accounts, till Queen Bess's father, he come in with his reformatories. Would that be an act of Parliament, like? Hobden asked. Surely. Can't do nothing in old England without act, warrant and summons. He got his act allowed him, and, they say, Queen Bess's father, he used the parish churches something shameful, just about tore the gizzards out of I don't know how many. Some folk in England, they held with him, 
but some they saw it different, and it ended in them taking sides and burning each other no bounds, according which side was top, time being. That terrified the Pharisees, for goodwill among flesh and blood is meat and drink to them, and ill-will is poison. Same as bees, said the bee-boy, bees won't stay by a house where there's hatin'. True, said Tom. This reformation's tarrified the Pharisees, same as the reaper going round a last sand o' wheat tarrifies the rabbits. They packed into the marsh from all sides, and they says, Fair or foul, we must flit out o' this, for merry England's done with, and we're reckoned among the images. Did they all see it that way? said Hobden. All but one that was called Robin, if you've heard of him. What are you laughing at? Tom turned to Dan. The Pharisees' troubles didn't tetch Robin, cause he'd cleaved middling close to people like. No more he never meant to go out of old England, not he. So he was sent messaging for help among flesh and blood. But flesh and blood must always think of their own concerns, and Robin couldn't get through at them, you see. They thought it was tide echoes off the marsh. What did you, what did the fair Pharisees want? Una asked. A boat, to be sure. Their little wings could no more cross channel than so many tired butterflies. A boat and a crew they desired to sail em over to France, where yet a while folks hadn't tore down the images. They couldn't abide cruel Canterbury bells ringing to Bulverithe for more poor men and women to be burned, nor the king's proud messenger riding through the land giving orders to tear down the images. They couldn't abide it no shape nor yet they couldn't get their boat and crew to flit by without leave and goodwill from flesh and blood. And flesh and blood came and went about its own business the while the marsh was swarving up, and swarving up with Pharisees from all England over, striving all means to get through at flesh and blood to tell them their sore need. I don't know as you've ever heard Pharisees are like chickens. My woman used to say that too, said Hobden, folding his brown arms. They be, you run too many chickens together, and the ground seconds like, and you get a squat, and your chickens die. Same way, you crowd Pharisees all in one place. They don't die, but flesh and blood walking among em is apt to sick up and pine off. They don't mean it, and flesh and blood don't know it, but that's the truth, as I've heard. The Pharisees, through being all stenched up and frighted, and trying to come through with their supplications, they naturally changed the thin airs and humours in flesh and blood. It lay on the marsh like a thunder. Men saw their churches ablaze with the wildfire in the windows after dark. They saw their cattle scattering, and no man scaring, their sheep flocking, and no man driving, their horses lathering, and no man leading. They saw the little low green lights more than ever in the dick sides. They heard the little feet pattering more than ever round the houses. And night and day, day and night, twas all as though they were being creeped upon, and hinted at by some one or other that couldn't rightly shape their trouble. Oh, I lay they sweated, man and maid, woman and child, their nature done em no service all the weeks while the marsh was swarving up with Pharisees. But they was flesh and blood, and marsh men before all. They reckoned the sign signified trouble for the marsh, or that the sea had rear up against Dimchurch Wall, and they'd be drowned like old Winchelsea, or that the plague was coming. So they looked for the meaning in the sea or in the clothes, far and high up. They never thought to look near and knee-high, where they could see naught. 
now there was a poor widow at dimchurch under the wall which lacking man or property she had more time for feeling and she come to feel that there was a trouble outside her doorstep bigger and heavier than aught she'd ever carried over it she had two sons one born blind and t'other struck dumb through falling off the wall when he was little they was grown men but not wage-earning and she worked for em keeping bees and answering questions what sort of questions said dan like where last things might be found and what to put about a crooked baby's neck and how to join parted sweethearts she felt the trouble on the marsh same as eels feel thunder she was a wise woman my woman was wonderful weather tender too said hopton i've seen her brish sparks off like an anvil out of her hair in thunderstorms but she never laid out to answer questions this woman was a seeker like and seekers they sometimes find one night while she lay abed hot and aching there come a dream and tapped at her window and said with a wit gift it said with a wit gift first by the wings and the whistling she thought it was peewits but last she rose and dressed herself and opened her door to the marsh and she felt the trouble and the groaning all about her strong as fever and ague and she called what is it oh what is it then twas all like the frogs in the dicks peeping then twas all like the reeds in the dicks clip-clapping and then the great tide-wave rummelled along the wall and she couldn't hear proper three times she called and three times the tide-wave did her down but she catched the quiet between and she cries out what is the trouble on the marsh that's been lying down with my heart and arising with my body this month gone she felt a little hand lay hold on her gown hem and she stooped to the pull of that little hand tom shoesmith spread his huge fist before the fire and smiled at it will the sea drown the marsh she says she was a marsh woman first and foremost no says the little voice sleep sound for all o that is the plague coming to the marsh she says then was all the ills she knowed no sleep sound for all o that says robin she turned about half mindful to go in but the little voices grieved that shrill and sorrowful she turns back and she cries if it's not a trouble of flesh and blood what can i do the pharisees cried out upon her from all round to fetch a boat to sail to france and come back no more there's a boat on the wall she says but i can't push it down to the sea nor sail it when tis there lend us your sons says all the pharisees give em leave and good will to sail it for us mother oh mother one's dumb and the other's blind she says but all the dearer to be for that and you'll lose them in the open sea the voices just about pierced through her and there was children's voices too she stood out all she could but she couldn't rightly stand against that so she says if you can draw my sons for your job i'll not hinder em you can't ask no more of a mother she saw them little green lights dance and cross till she was dizzy she heard them little feet pattering by the thousand she heard cruel canterbury bells ringing to bulverhithe and she heard the great tide wave ranging along the wall that was while the pharisees was working a dream to wake her two sons asleep and while she bit on her fingers she saw them two she'd bore come out and pass her with never a word she followed em crying pitiful to the old boat on the wall 
and that they took and runned down to the sea. When they'd stepped mast and sail, the blind son speaks up. Mother, we're waiting your leave and goodwill to take them over. Tom Shoesmith threw back his head and half shut his eyes. Amy, he said, she was a fine valiant woman, the widow Whitgift. She stood twisting the ends of her long hair over her fingers, and she shook like a poplar, making up her mind. The Pharisees all about, they hushed their children from crying, and they waited dumb still. She was all their dependence. Without her leave and goodwill, they could not pass, for she was the mother. So she shook like an asp tree, making up her mind. Last she drives the word past her teeth, and, Go, she says, go with my leave and goodwill. Then I saw, then they say she had to brace back, same as she was wading in the tide-water, for the Pharisees just about flowed past her, down the beach to the boat, I don't know how many of them, with their wives and children and valuables, all escaping out of the cruel old England. Silver you could hear clinking, and little bundles hove down dunt the bottom boards, and pussels of little swords and little shields rakling, and little fingers and toes scratching on the boatside to board her when the two sons pushed her off. That boat she sunk lower and lower, but all the widow could see in it was boys moving, ampered-like, to get at the tackle. Up sail they did, and away they went, deep as a roy barge, away into the offshore mists, and the widow Whitgift she sat down and eased her grief till morning light. I never heard she was all alone, said Hobden. I remember now, the one called Robin, he stayed with her, they tell. She was all too grievous to listen to his promises. Ah, she should have made her bargain beforehand. I always told my woman so, Hobden cried. No, she loaned her sons for a pure love loan, being as she sensed the trouble on the marshes, and was simple good willing to ease it. Tom laughed softly. She done that. Yes, she done that, from hythe to bulverhythe, fretty men and petty maid, ailing woman and wailing child, they took the advantage of the change in the thin airs just about as soon as Pharisees flitted. Folks come out fresh and shining all over the marsh like snails after wet, and that while the widow Whitgift sat grieving on the wall. She might have belefft us, she might have trusted her sons would be sent back. She fussed no bounds when their boat came in after three days. And, of course, the sons were both quite cured, said Una. No, that would have been out of nature. She got em back as she sent them. The blind man, he hadn't seen naught of anything, and the dumb man, naturally, he couldn't say aught of what he'd seen. I reckon that was why the Pharisees pitched on em for the ferrying job. But what did you, what did Robin promise the widow? said Dan. What? Did he promise now? Tom pretended to think. Wasn't your woman a wet gift, Ralph? Didn't she say? She told me a passel of no-sense stuff when he was born. Hobden pointed at his son. There was always to be one of them that could see further into the millstone than most. Me! That's me! said the bee-boy, so suddenly that they all laughed. I've got it now, said Tom, slapping his knee. So long as the Whitgift blood lasted, Robin promised there would allus be one of her stock that, that no trouble had lie on, no maid had sigh on, no knight could frighten, no fright could arm, no arm could make sin, and no woman could make a fool. Well, ain't that just me, said the bee-boy, 
where he sat in the silver square of the great September moon that was staring into the oast-house door. They, they were the exact words she told me when we first phoned he wasn't like the others. But it beats me how you know them, said Hobden. Aha! There's more under my hat besides hair, Tom laughed and stretched himself. When I've seen these two young folk home, we'll make a night of old days, Ralph, with passing old tales, eh? And where might you live? he asked gravely to Dan. And do you think your pa'd give me a drink for taking you there, Missy? They giggled so at this that they had to run out. Tom picked them both up, set one on each broad shoulder, and tramped across the ferny pasture where the cows puffed milky puffs at them in the moonlight. Oh, Puck, Puck! I guessed you right from when you talked about the salt. How could you ever do it? Una cried, swinging along, delighted. Do what? he said, and climbed the stile by the pollard oak. Pretend to be Tom Shoesmith, said Dan, and they ducked to avoid the two little ashes that grow by the bridge over the brook. Tom was almost running. Yes, that be my name, Mas Dan, he said, hurrying over the silent shining lawn, where a rabbit sat by the big white thorn near the croquet ground. Here you be. He strode into the old kitchen yard, and slid them down as Ellen came to ask questions. I'm helping in Mus Spray's oast house, he said to her. No, I'm no foreigner. I know this country for your mother was born. And yes, it's dry work, Austin, miss, thank you. Ellen went to get a jug, and the children went in, magicked once more by oak, ash, and thorn. End of section 9. Dimchurch Flit.